Welcome to the second of only three episodes in this series of Your Time and the Run, the Hunter podcast from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Hampton, and joining me as always is my fellow Brit, who I have three things in common with, fatigue, desperation, and the fact we both stink, Anthony Williams. <laughs> Hello. And the lady who is fast becoming the chief's new favourite, Michelle Fizz-Denovan, who has obviously lost her voice. Is she there? <laughs> She's <laughs> muted. <laughs> Which is so ironic. <laughs> this episode's cursed. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> Do you remember when we did Hunted Series 1 and every episode was cursed? <laughs> this. <laughs> and I'm keeping all of this in for the record. Every last second of this. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm losing my voice. As you can hear, I've been losing it for two days and now I've been screaming for the last two hours because my daughter's been at an athletics carnival and doing quite well. So you scream more. And so now I'm thinking at the athletics carnival, oh, my God, I've got to stop screaming because I won't be able to talk later. <laughs> and here we are. And you still here did. I still did, yes. And the lady who is fast becoming the chief's new favourite, Michelle Fizz-Denovan. Hello. I just said. You didn't. That's the thing. You were muted for a good 30 seconds. <laughs> Your introduction in this episode was you going, oh, I've lost my voice. Can you, can you stop making me laugh? I no, that's what we're here for. Laughing. That's kind of what we're here for. It's, it's oh not God. a serious podcast, Michelle. Stop. Oh my God. It's a podcast that has a reputation for, you know, <laughs> doing things like getting people to um, put new nicknames on Wikipedia, that sort of thing. Yes. Oh, God. Okay. So, yeah, Mich- Michelle is struggling with her voice a little bit, so we're not allowed to make her laugh, Ant. Okay, this... let's definitely not do that. Oh, my God. This interest. I'll also point out that Ant is kind of a professional comedian, so don't do your job, Ant. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my job badly, like always. Oh, God. That's all we can ask. That intro went for so long. And I wonder whose fault that was, Michelle. <laughs> Not mine and Anne's. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> so a little bit of housekeeping to begin with, other than, you know, Michelle having no voice. Um, we recorded last Friday, and literally right after we finished recording, I found out that the rest of this series is doubled up. So instead of six episodes, we only have three. Ooh, yeah, yes. bit, bit sad. I don't obviously need to rehash too much on this rant because I did a little bit of it last week, but the cliffhangers on Hunted, or on any show like Hunted, aren't as effective if you resolve them 23 hours later. Yeah, or worse, because of scheduling, I'm having to watch both episodes back to back, so they are just not playing out at all. <laughs> it's awful. Yeah, I said this months ago when people went, oh, why don't they just do um, do loads of episodes and put them all over a week? And it's like, well, if you resolve the cliffhanger 23 hours later, you don't have the, the jeopardy that is inherent in that cliffhanger. So I'm putting my foot down, and I know I've said this to you guys already, if they do it again next year, we're going to do each episode separately. I don't give a shit about how far behind we get. We'll do each episode separately, <laughs> we'll release it one a week, and well, we will do it properly. <laughs> we'll do it properly. I don't care. We'll do yeah. it. We'll do it bi-weekly, so we'll do it on a Sunday and a Wednesday, maybe. Well, then you wouldn't be able to attend, Michelle. I'm not putting together a situation where we have to miss episodes because Channel 4 can't be our scheduling it properly. Schedule it one episode a week, or we're doing it one episode a week. I don't give a shit. 
number one. Number two on that point is thanks to them scheduling two episodes a week, I was spoiled on the final five of this series. Thankfully, it was after last week's episode, so I could actually keep in me, me speculating that Katie and Liam did well, which we'll get to in a minute. But the fact of the matter is, in the next episode description, it says there are five fugitives left on the run and names them. And I actually had to warn you guys on our group chat going, don't even look at the episode descriptions because it spoils things. That's nonsense. They've never done that in the past, and they never should have done it in the first place. No, there's no need whatsoever. Even if we're not doing this stupid scheduling, this, you, you shouldn't be doing it. No, they've never done that in any of the previous five series. They've never done it for any of the celeb ones. It makes no sense to put who is left in the uh, in the show in an episode description. I can kind of understand if they said something like, Nathan and James are off to Loch Ness, as the next time preview seems to suggest. I can understand if they name one or two fugitives in it, depending on what the storyline of the episode is, but they literally just put in the episode description, five fugitives are left on the run with a week to go. And here are their names. Ugh. Hmm. So I wasn't particularly happy with Channel 4 last week, understandably. Yeah. And and there's a really major plot point cliffhanger that just gets totally ruined by doing them back to back, which is really a shame because they've edited it beautifully and then it completely ruins it. That's the thing. The editors are doing a wonderful job. The production are doing a wonderful job. And I'm sure we're going to get onto the is the show fake rant at some point in this episode. No. It's just Channel 4 have let the side down with this. And it's really annoyed me because obviously, best laid plans and all that, I did plan on us having a few weeks off the podcast in preparation for historians coming out at the end of this month now. It didn't happen. I'm not particularly annoyed about that. I'm more annoyed about the fact they scheduled it on a Sunday and doubled it up on a Monday and then spoiled the final five in the episode five description that was up after episode two had already aired. That's crazy. On a slightly brighter note, thanks to me posting the episode on a uh, Facebook group on Saturday, I did find out that Katie and Liam had already listened to the episode and, in fact, had listened to every one of our episodes. Yay! <laughs> That's amazing. And I'll also say, a fat lot of good it did them. Because <laughs> 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 so I'm kind of thinking of rebranding the podcast to uh, the Hunted podcast that fugitives do listen to, but probably shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> And I know from speaking to Katie that she's very interested to find out what we're going to make of their um, their departure in this episode. <laughs> and we're going to treat you exactly the same, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Michelle will call you stupid! Or something similar in her current voice. Oh dear. Yeah, <laughs> I'll try not to. So, previously, 11 new fugitives were dumped on the Isle of Wight with only limited funds and a change of clothes and asked to stay in the run for 23 whole days. Shabra and Amarinda were picked early as the weak links, but managed to escape the hunters on numerous occasions by the skin of their teeth. Nathan and James showed some bear cheats to taunt the hunters, and watched them as they were led into a trap. Katie and Liam went exploring more abandoned sites to find the new Chernobyl, but the net closed in as they headed to an abandoned ski village. Sarah found herself a van and a huge target from the hunters as a law enforcement professional, but despite their wild camping efforts, Myrig and Eleanor led the hunters to his sister's farm, and were the first team whose time in the run was over. We pick up episode 3 on day 7. Lisa says the priority is no injuries or deaths, but she's not too bothered about the fugitives. Look, they obviously want to go... Obviously, Katie and Liam want to go to the places that they know and that they frequent. It's like if I decided, I don't know, to go to some famous landmark in Sydney. They're going to find me there because I love landmarks. I like lots of people. That's where I would go. And 
If they're urban explorers, they're going to go to an abandoned place. Don't go to an abandoned place. Go to somewhere where there's lots of people where they don't expect you to be. I'm sorry, Katie Lim, but why? Why did you go there? Great idea. If you were, say, one of the other teams that aren't urban explorers. It just really made me laugh. And I know I slightly mentioned this last week, but the idea of this big site that we were told is a huge site. The hunters are very unlikely to find them. And then the hunters in an abandoned site plant people in plain clothes just to blend in at an abandoned ski slope. <laughs> you could not be any more obvious. It's just lucky they were hiding behind things. At that stage, I was still trying to get over the whole no injuries or deaths. Calm down, Lisa. It's a game. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if that's the attitude Cleveland police are taking, it's not a wonder they're in special measures. No. Raise the bar a little bit, Lisa. I think you need to achieve more than just not killing people, right? Yeah. <laughs> but but I, I totally agree with you, Michelle. For any other team to go to an abandoned ski slope is a good move, but just not for these guys. But did you guys find the whole catcher really underwhelming as well? Yeah, 100%. Especially, mm. as, especially as this was the big cliffhanger after episode two where we have a whole six days until this resolves. Yeah. It was just a bit, well, there they are, caught them. Actually, no, thinking about it, the Myrig and Eleanor one was really underwhelming as well, because we all knew Myrig was going to get caught straight away. Mm. So it's weird that the first two captures really are very underwhelming. And I say this as someone who still trumpets Katie and Liam as a great team, because they were really mm. good until they did this stupid move. Yeah. But for me, it's less about them going to the abandoned site, and more about them going to an abandoned site in Sheffield, where they have known links already. If they'd found an abandoned site somewhere completely on the other side of the country, they probably wouldn't have got caught. Yeah, they, it was just a little bit too obvious, wasn't it? Yeah. And Casey says they're going there because it's dirty and dingy and no one else is stupid enough to go there. And in a perfect metaphor for Channel 4's scheduling of this series, they find a salt bin full of piss and empty cans. <laughs> <laughs> And just like with the testicles last week, there is a long close-up on the bin full of piss. Yeah, there's some weird shots this series. I don't know why they keep showing us these disgusting moments. <laughs> you can call attention to it, obviously, but don't linger. So Becky thinks she has eyes on, the drone is then flown, and Paul also has eyes on and he's confident. Becky wants to try and get them into position, so all they can do is run at Paul and Faye. And Liam is shocked and gets caught, and Katie isn't far behind. And their punishment is, of course, to speak to the chief. Katie says she's upset, so only Liam has to speak to her. But she is a little bit less arsy with him than she was with Myra and Eleanor. Yes, yeah. I noticed that. Very yeah. interesting. Do you think they've toned down Lisa's put-downs? No, I think... I think she's just establishing herself. I, I quite warm to her in this pair of episodes, actually. I quite like her. I, th I think it's all a bit... It's a bit tongue-in-cheek. I can't talk to I you think. anymore, Ant. I'm sorry, I can't talk to you anymore. I don't think Seriously? it's real. I think it's just a bit tongue-in-cheek. It's a bit pantomime villain. I think it's fine. I, I, I did quite like her. I think she's turning out to be all right. Yeah, I liked her more in this pair of episodes than I did in the first ones and in uh, in the celebrity ones. Yeah. But I was gutted for Katie and Liam. They looked properly, really, really upset. Um, and I get that because they were doing well, and they were, 
and they were the kind of fugitives that we like. They were they were mm. gritty. They were thinking things through, and it's just such a shame, really. I was sad that they were gone too. As I said to Katie, because obviously her and Liam both added me on Facebook as soon as they realised that we were actually in the group. Um, I sent Katie a message literally as they just got caught saying, hope you told her to fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) And they say that it was never about the money. It was all about the adventure for them, which we kind of got that vibe last week. Yeah, totally. Seven fugitives remain spread out across the whole of the UK, as they say in the the voiceover, but it's actually over the south of the UK because I don't think any of them are above about Nottingham. Shelby and Amarinda were in West Brom, but they're now riding horses. What is (laughs) that? Why is she on a horse? You say, what is that? But cast your mind back to water skiing. <laughs> I know, I know. It, it, it parallels to that. It's it not parallels. As okay. has been. Why the oh horses? Just, just so they could cut from it to Ray going, yeah, she won't be having a good time. She's having a great time. Yes. <laughs> and quite appropriately for the Platinum Jubilee weekend, she says she feels like a queen. Yes, it was lovely. Nathan and James were last with Debbie, but the trail has gone cold. They do rock, paper, scissors for who has to get up and do the lights, and Nathan loses. How cosy is that bedroom? Uh, <laughs> they look so cosy. They are proper living it up, aren't they? they and every shot of them is, they're just having a ball. It's great. Yeah, they're having an absolute blast, and I don't blame them. They're, they're incredibly entertaining. James, shockingly, seems to have a Coke on the bedside table rather than a Dr. Pepper. I know what's yes. Ray thinks that Abby and Grace will struggle. There is a knockout punch with a sleeping bag from Grace, which I did have to rewind a good four or five times <laughs> because it was very entertaining. <laughs> Lisa says that HQ will look daft if Abby and Grace beat them. Yeah, and they say and she says that a few times. And she's having a bath. So we've seen a horse, a cozy bedroom, and a bath. I'm thinking, wow, these guys are living it up on this run. And a skip full of piss. Yeah, and a skip full of piss. <laughs> Don't forget the skip full of piss job. That's the level we work at. Sorry. Don't get above your station. <laughs> We're closer on the skip full of piss level than a nice bubble bath. Oh, God. It is interesting that they keep including the, oh, we're going to look daft if Abby and Grace beat us thing. Because mm. they're getting caught at the start of episode five. I don't think mm. they're going to get away from Jordan and Nicola. I know, the next time is a little bit confusing, isn't it? Because they, they clearly see them at the side of the road and then there's a little bit of a chase scene, which I don't really understand, but I'm sure it will all pan out. From what we've seen so far, they see them at the side of the road, they can't do anything about it, so they probably hide somewhere off the junction on the assumption that the traffic officer is going to drop them there. The traffic officer probably won't, but then they'll be wandering down a lane talking about the Victorian ankles thing. Jordan and Nicola will then see them. And then they'll run through that town wherever they are. That's my presumed timeline on it. Yeah, I, th- I think if if they're still in the game more than three minutes into the next episode, I'll be shocked. That's the sort of quote we get when someone's winning. The, oh, we're going to look really daft if they yeah. beat us. But I don't think they are. Yeah, it's odd. It's odd. We got a bit of backstory from them this week as well. So I think that's probably too early for them to win. And then we go to Sarah, who's being elusive and wading across a river. They're worried about her. She's used to operating as part of a close-knit team. And she absolutely tore up the hill on the Isle of Wight. And Dr. Steve Hersey thinks she's going to reach out to someone. Well, yeah, that's kind of the rules. <laughs> yeah. She, she's in Winchester in fellow soldier Sally's house. They serve two tours of Iraq together. Seeing a newborn makes her miss her kids. 
and you can actually see her watch when she's holding Isla, it's 2.10pm on a Saturday. I was mm. going to try and work out whether this was actually from day 7, day 8, but I couldn't get an actual date off the watch. I could only get Saturday. <laughs> mm. Yeah. She says on one of her patrols there was an IED. Her crew were there to pick up the pieces, literally. We get a literal hero edit. What do we think? I think her and Nathan and James are winning. Spoiling the end of this episode. That's what I said. Yeah. I think after episodes one and two, I didn't think she was making it to the end, but this scene really changed my mind. If she doesn't make it to the end, she's going to be a devastating final capture. Yeah. 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 Like day 21, 22, I reckon. It's going to be bad. I'm pretty confident Nathan's winning. I'm like 90% that James is going to win. And I'm like 85 that Sarah's going to win. Yeah, yeah, I go along with that. She says she struggled to adjust to civilian life. They went from having a comfortable life financially to struggling. They've got debts, so the hundred grand would be very, very useful. And she said her tactic of being on the run was that she was a penguin. The mum goes off to get the goods while the dad stays home with the kids, and the kids and her husband are her motivation. Which normally, if we heard that, I'd be rolling my eyes, going, "Oh, your family can't be your heroes. Stop being an idiot." But actually, it works in her story. Yeah. And you know what? I actually didn't feel like I needed to rant there because she seems pretty level-headed in that, yeah, I miss my kids, but, yeah, I have to be realistic. You know, it, it didn't rile me up for some mm-hmm. reason. Yeah, usually Michelle hates anyone being nice about the family, but reminds yeah. her that she's not a nice about hers. God, I know. <laughs> she points out that she was screaming at the, uh, at the carnival, but it was just move fast to your little shit. That's all she was screaming <laughs> at her daughter. Oh my Come on, God, are you going back in the so hole? Screaming. No, well, you know what? You know what's funny? Not not that you go back in the hole in Juliette. She because she's a fast runner and she has spikes. And she said for the hundred meters, she said, I I don't I don't think I wear my spikes. I said, What do you mean? You have to wear your spikes. You run faster with your spikes. And she said, No, I don't think I wear them. And I said, Okay, if you don't put them on, there is no social media for one week. She said Okay, I'll wear my spikes. <laughs> oh, social media, I swear. Just having that sort of leverage as a parent, it's fantastic. Anyway, back to Sarah. So Lindsay's identified a person of interest, one of her colleagues, Dean Brearley. He is apparently her second most called number on the phone, which begs the question, does she not have any other family, presuming that her husband is number one? Why is Dean number two? <laughs> Dino, rather. Dino. 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 Mark deploys a team to go and talk to him, and for once, it is not Georgina and JP. It's Zoe and Floyd instead. Big breakout episodes for Floyd, these two. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like he really came into his stride in these episodes. It was all about the Floyd for me. Floyd was a hunter last year, wasn't he? He's one of the few who... Well, last series. He's one of the few who actually stayed on. And I do have... The question, obviously, it comes up with Amarinda and Shoga in episode four. But this series, RHQ relying on the fact that nobody knows the new ground hunters to try and trick people. I don't think they'd get away with a lot of this stuff if everyone knew who the hunters were. Maybe. I don't know. Because it's like they wouldn't have got away with the Shaz thing. No, no. I mean, if if that had been Danny or someone, they'd, yeah, they would probably got away with it. But uh, how recognisable... I'm not sure everybody is quite as obsessed with this show as we are. (laughs) 
I put it to you that one team on this series actually did listen to all of our podcasts, nor did it help them. Well, that's true. Yeah. They didn't listen to the Michelle Pierce Denver rules of don't contact your family, who gives a shit about them, don't go back somewhere <laughs> where you know. Of course they would have heard me. They would have heard me. <laughs> yeah. Definitely do not establish a pattern under any circumstances. I would have loved it if their first thought when they got caught was, oh, Michelle's going to be so mean about me. (laughs) (laughs) But I wasn't. I was so sad they were caught because I thought they had potential. I know I've got to speak to the chief in a minute and she's horrible, but God, Michelle's going to be worse about me. (laughs) She's not going to hold back. (laughs) She's going to just pretend I'm one of her children. Not at all. Not at all. Oh, gosh. So Sarah's driving to Norwich to meet Dean, having been lent a car by her friend. And she's got some very generous friends. Mm. Yes. We never did find out who the camper van belonged to. No. She says it's possible that they'll be on Dean, but if not, they're slacking. And he tells Zoe and Floyd that the only thing she'd miss would be her children. He says she's the daughter that they never had, and he admits that he will do whatever he can to help Sarah on the run. Including lying to us? Yeah, I love that. Of course. Love, of course, of course. (laughs) This is a really good series for entertaining people who aren't fugitives. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Because, I mean, we have the the cousin last episode with the air rifle and mousetrap thing. We have Dino here. We've got another brilliant one in Shoba's Husband. We've got another yep. brilliant one in the other cousin that they go and visit later in the episode. And and, that, and then we've got Christine. Oh yes, we're going to come to Christine <laughs> because I did say to you guys, have a guess what the episode banner is going to be. Neither of you did. It's 100% Christine, obviously. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, saying. sorry I didn't tell you. Yeah, I thought it was going to be her. Yeah, and, and it's the one... Is it the one where she's pointing yes, at it, them? It, yes, oh my it, God. It, as it, soon it, as I saw it, I thought, that's it. That's it. It's the uh, Survivor Australia style, I will always wave my finger in your face moment. Oh from my her. God, it was so good. So I actually rewound it to watch it again. <laughs> but we're going to get on to her in episode four. So Zoe plants a GPS device on Dean's car, and Ray says he's hoping that Dean will lead them right to Sarah's door. Sherva and Amarinda are camping on the outskirts of Birmingham. They think that HQ will wonder how they'll survive, but they do yoga and spin classes. Well, there you go. And he plucks his eyebrows, you know. What, what more preparation would anyone need for this show? And he's on the oh run with God. his friggin' mother. And the ch- Yes, that, that's what the chief said. And I was like, this is why I sent you that message. She's not a very nice person, is she? She's great. I had a feeling that it might have been about Amarinda that you'd said that, that It was that gorgeous, yes. <laughs> I just think that Lisa has never really come across anyone like Amarinda. No, I wouldn't imagine so. He's incredibly confident and incredibly sure of himself, and I think that is maybe slightly unsettling for her. <laughs> I just get massive beard envy. His beard has grown tremendously in a short space of time. I mean, there's, there's such a grey in it, but it's that's good. That's good beard work. Well done, Amarinda. Cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> what? Me and Michelle have no comeback to that. <laughs> Other than knowing that one of the hints for this episode is and compliments some beard work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, credit where it's due. 
Shoba got married at 18 and had her daughter at 19, and she's not done anything really for herself since then. Amarinda thinks that they'll all be getting told off for not finding them yet, and then we cut to HQ and prove that he's not wrong. Lisa says all Amarinda does is sit at home and pluck his eyebrows, and he's on the run with his quote-unquote friggin' mother. <laughs> oh, the dad. He's so he gets sweet. He's so sad he's so lovely. Sweet. He's great. I like, I like the dad. He's one of the nicest NPCs we've ever had on the show, I think. Mm-hmm. He's just a pure heart. He's so lovely. I mean, Amarinda and Shoba told him absolutely nothing about their plans, deliberately, but at least he gets his moment in the spotlight. Yeah. Oh, and when they're, when they're, when they're there, well, Dr. Donna comes up, <laughs> although she didn't say something very bad because I've put a smiley face beside it, but she did say... I really, I really think they could be that dumb to do what she thinks they might be doing. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll let you pass, Donna. <laughs> I'm sorry, you, you categorise your notes on Dr. Donna with smiley and frowny faces? <laughs> let's just I let's to drill down into this I've narrative. I have got to Dr. Donna. I've got, to, I've got to do that because, you know, because I don't know if I'm being mean to or not. Let's just drill down into this. <laughs> You have a a smiley system for anything to do with Dr. Donna. <laughs> no, I, I had one there. If I'm really angry, it goes to Caps. But there's, <laughs> don't think there's, no, there's no Caps in this episode. Oh, my God, I can't talk to you guys tonight. <laughs> Michelle, I have done 107 <laughs> podcasts with you, and I am still learning fascinating things about you every time. <laughs> Oh, God. You are a revelation every time I speak to you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. I wonder what Dr. Donna would think of the Dr. Donna smiley system. (laughs) I would be slightly alarmed if I found out that Dr. Donna had heard our podcast. (laughs) God knows what she'd think. Obviously, we know some hunters had, but would she then try and psychoanalyze Michelle? Because that would be quite entertaining. Please, please do it, Dr. Donna, if you're around. What would you say? <laughs> she has terrible issues with her children. <laughs> <laughs> that's all coming, that's coming from you. Well, yeah, oh obviously. God. She uses social media as a weapon. I think we can exploit this. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think all parents do. It's so good. It's absolutely amazing. Anyway, we need to not make Michelle laugh again. I know. So Shoba's husband knows absolutely nothing. He says his family might be more involved. Some of them are in Birmingham, and he seems absolutely lovely. And Lisa says that they need to spend some time working out the network. We then cut back to Sarah, who's in Norwich. Dean's got all her camping gear, so she'll need that from him. She says it's going to be really tough being so close to home and not seeing her kids. So she could just do a flying visit. Mm, I was just... Screaming at the screen, going, No, Sarah, no, don't do it. It's not worth it. And then we get one of my quotes from the episode from our good friend Doug, who says that he got the impression that Sarah is a very caring mother. And I was this close to making a riff on that Michelle's intro this week. (laughs) (laughs) Justin finds out that Sarah's nine year old is playing a football match today. Zoe and Floyd are deployed to investigate and work out where Sarah might try and meet her son. However, they are over two hours away. Amarinda and Shoba are back in West Brom, having taken a taxi to cousin Vikash's house. They've used his house before, and the hunters were there only five days ago. 
Amarinda says, they won't think that they're that stupid to come back. Yeah, they will, mate. They will. <laughs> I always thought it was a rule that they weren't allowed to return to places they'd been to. Hmm. I don't know about that one. This is the sort of thing where we need Rob to weigh in, but he's on holiday and I'm not bothering him. Yeah. I can't recall that being a rule. I think there is a once you've been to one place, it's burned rule, or there used to be at least. Whether that's changed with this series, it, it might be different because of COVID or whatever, but I always thought that they weren't allowed to return to places they'd been to before. I can't recall it happening. It's never happened before, but otherwise you just have someone work within the rules of going, right, I'm going to stay at your house on odd number days, your house on even number days, and you're 15 miles apart, so that's fine, and Mm. work within the confines of the rules doing that. Yeah, interesting. Dr. Donna, our favourite, says that they are not natural fugitives, they're used to a certain level of comfort. And HQ suspects that they might keep relying on family. Lisa says Matt is fastly becoming her favourite. Which is wrong, obviously. Doug's a favourite. Doug's a favourite. Dr. Steve Hersey is equal favourite. No one else is allowed to be favourite. Exactly. We get to choose the favourites, not you, Lisa. We've been doing this a lot longer than you. We know what we're doing. Exactly. (laughs) Seven years. Put your time in. (laughs) Don't get ideas above your station. Um, So you know how the chief calls them over every so often to have a chat and, you know, talk about what they're going to do? Well, at one point, I think it was around this point in this episode, so she's having the chat with them, and then she says, okay, get back to work now. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, obviously you've called them over first. You don't need to scream for them to go back to work. Oh, my God. (laughs) We were working, Lisa. You told us to go over. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, my God. See, I thought the same that Ant did about Lisa being a bit nicer this week, but evidently Michelle doesn't agree. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, no, they just didn't show as much of her this week, which may have been a good thing. Our favourite Dr. Steve Hersey, or one of our favourites, Dr. Steve Hersey, says that they normally expect fugitives to move around hugely because that was in the rules. But Amarinda and Shelburne might be the exception to the rule and might keep returning to old places. Shelburne says that they track all the phones, so they shouldn't be using anyone who the hunters will know about. And she's 100% right. She's definitely been listening to the podcast. Of course she has. Big fan, I'm mm-hmm. sure. HQ get the activity on the phone, and they didn't even get through to whoever they were calling. She turned the phone off and on again, which is suspicious, and Dr. Donna says they could be just dumb enough to do that, and describes them as clumsy. I did like this, but this was a good bit of thinking of why did a phone pop up on the network and then go off again. That, that was nice. Nice, mm. nice little touch there. No, it's all rigged, Ant. You should know that. Uh, yeah, I forgot that. It was just in the script, wasn't it? Sorry, I forgot. Yeah, someone on Facebook told me that it was 100% rigged and that this show is just orchestrated. They've decided before the series even airs who's going to actually get caught and who isn't. And they're just trying to, you know, trying to make it basically a drama series rather than a reality program. Uh, that'd be why they're using paid actors then, right? Yeah, it would. They are. They're all paid actors. They're all just hired from an agency. If you keep an eye on Star Now or about this time in the year, you, you see the auditions go up. <laughs> well, they need better scriptwriters then, that's what I would say. We're looking for um, for an early 30s male to play Amarinda, a dentist from Essex. Needs to be convincing <laughs> at plucking eyebrows. I mean, Nathan and James aren't even deaf. Not even deaf. No, they're, um, <laughs> they're just paid actors. A little bit insensitive in the current climate of them doing that, but, you know, who are yeah. we to argue with Channel 4? 
There you go. That's it. Oh, people are insane, aren't they? It doesn't take. Well, and, uh, we could go on this on about this all day, but I suppose the fact that we've watched reality shows for a long time, we know how it works. You know the result before you start editing, so of course it all makes sense. Otherwise, it'd be really weird, wouldn't it? <laughs> and I know we've said this time and time and time again, but the reason we don't see a lot of the legwork that the hunters do is because it is fucking boring. You do not want boring television. You want the best six hours in three two-hour blocks, in this case, <laughs> that you possibly can have. So you want the entertaining bits. You want the chases. You want people actually doing stupid stuff that could get them caught, because that drives the narrative forward. Stop being idiots and just thinking that it's rigged. It'd be so much easier if they rigged it. And it would be way more dramatic. Trust me. Mm. And do you think that for a second they would have left it four series without a win for the Hunters if it was actually rigged? Of course they wouldn't. That's the other thing, isn't it? The people on media are always like, oh, it's so rigged in favour of the Hunters. Really? Well, why have we only had one series where they've got a clean sweep then? And most of the time they don't even come close. No. And there was someone who'd literally just joined the group yesterday who, for his first post, said, oh, what they should do is just live stream it completely. Live stream the entire hunt so that we know it's not rigged. And the argument against that is, if they live streamed it, the hunters wouldn't do any legwork. They'd watch the live stream, work out where people are, and send the ground hunters. <laughs> you don't. Oh my god. That guy is stupid. Right, we're going to live stream it, but you've got to promise not to watch, okay? Watch it, exactly. you know, Play fair. Close your eyes. You'd have to get HQ to turn around and pinky promise not to watch a fucking live stream. <laughs> or take any tips that are based off of the live stream. Yeah, man. A sample quote here. There are too many coincidences here. How do the hunters know exactly who to go to? Number one, a lot of the investigation is cut down because it's boring as shit. Number two, the fugitives have to give a list of known associates that the hunters are allowed to actually chase up with. That's how. Yeah. That's yeah. why these people are call monitoring. Yes, it is not a coincidence. It's editing. They are only showing you the things that pay off because nobody wants to watch. Nah, nothing there, mate. Okay, try someone else then. Three hours later, nah, nothing there. The show is not even any more quote-unquote set up than it was in Series 2. I get the argument with Series 1 because it was under a completely different umbrella as we went into at length last year. It was under the documentary on Channel 4, therefore there was no prize money. It is not anymore. The rules have not changed significantly. They tweak them every year to keep it interesting for people and to stop people being able to just watch old series and then go, I know exactly how I'm going to do it. I'm just going to go to the back of Beyond and do bugger all for three weeks. But it is no more rigged, in inverted commas, than it ever has been. They work under the same rules, under the same referee. It's just that people are seeing what they want to see and wearing their tinfoil hat. And I know I did preempt this with you guys saying I'm definitely going to go on that rant. But <laughs> I've definitely gone on that rant. Stop being knobheads. It wouldn't be this podcast without it. We have to do this at least every, at least twice a series. Yeah. <laughs> and because we've only got three episodes this year, we have to do it in the one, two episode block where it would fit. So stop being knobheads, everyone on Facebook. Get a life. I think I've done this rant once in one of the seasons. I've definitely done this rant before. And people just don't listen. So Jordan and Nicola are sent to West Brom to keep an eye on them. Steve says that turning a phone off and on again works in spy films, but not in real life. 
and they're only two minutes from the house, and Amarinda and Shoba haven't even left yet. Vikash then opens the door and doesn't let them come in the house initially. They quite aggressively search the house, but there's no one there. And Jotty has a completely different dressing gown on. Yeah. This is amazing race rules apply. If they're not in the same scene, there could be any length of time between these things happening. They think the hunters are at their house, and they say they need to get a life. <laughs> they're at a park nearby looking for somewhere to camp, unaware that the hunters are right behind them. And they meet two women who are having tea on a park bench, who are definitely not going to get talked to by Jordan. Shoba manages to do something for herself and convince them to help her. Sadly, they say they have a poor sense of direction. And HQ is self-restricted to be so near, but so far away. And they say keep calm and carry on hunting. Just trying to get an episode title. They're not going to win. They're not going to get the episode title off me. It's harder than that. <laughs> the interpreter then returns to give them a lecture on the psychology of deaf fugitives and teach them some basic BSL. Matt says that most of their friends are deaf, so there could be an inherent distrust of people who can hear. Yeah, I, I was. I was thought that was interesting. I thought, is that is that how every deaf person thinks? I don't think every deaf person feels like that, but I think depending on the circumstances, there are. I know from Reddit, especially, there are people who are deaf who then have kids who are deaf and try and keep them away from people who can hear because they're quite militant about it and don't see any downside to being deaf. Obviously there are a lot of a lot of benefits for a lot of people, including Nathan and James in this case, but there are obviously inherent disadvantages like the fact that people aren't necessarily going to be able to understand you. Mm-hmm. But there's there's a certain militant faction of the deaf community, I believe, who yeah. don't who don't believe that anyone should be able to um, to hear. And I suppose it's like like any community, isn't it? You know, if you found yourself in a foreign country, you're probably going to move to an area where other people speak your language, right? So mm. it's, it's a similar thing, I think. You know, you, you've got a community; it's a big community. So why would you why would you not gravitate towards people that you can communicate easily with rather than having to struggle a lot? Which yeah, I get that. Yeah, but it was the trust thing. I was I was interested in the whole trust thing. It sort of goes back to what I was saying about their producer last week, in that if they don't feel safe around people who they're not going to be able to adequately communicate with, then mm. that fosters a little bit of distrust. And I would hazard a guess that Nathan and James probably, when they did their application, said, we want to prove that deaf people aren't useless or dumb or whatever that they said last week. And also we want to shed a light on using the deaf community to help us in the same way that Bob and Alex did with the Freemasons, for example. I think it's sad that they think or they have the perception, it may be true because they they experience it, that, you know, people think deaf people are dumb. I mean, I've never, ever thought of that. And that's a sad indictment of society if that's what some people do think. Yeah. But that then also feeds into their story in that they're almost certainly going to win and they're going to be able to turn around and make their winner quote something along the lines of, oh yeah, we've proven that deaf people can do it too. Mm. James and Nathan are camping in Woods near Sheffield. James is finding it more challenging as people have made fun of his speech in the past. He says it's not fair for Nathan to keep speaking for him and they decide to keep walking towards their deaf network. Then we immediately cut back to Sarah because there's literally just one scene for James and Nathan here to remind us that they exist. Massive winner edit. Oh, yeah. This is the Nick edit all over, isn't it? Yeah. It's just 
peppering it into the episode to remind us that James and Nathan exist, even though they've got absolutely no jeopardy in this episode. Mm-hmm. Dean's car hasn't moved. Paul has no information on it. HQ keep an eye on it. Floyd and Zoe are half an hour away from the football club. Sarah's already there and says it might not have been the best decision she's ever made as they could be closing in. Tyler then arrives and gets an emotional reunion with his mum. She also reunites with Isaac and her husband Dan gets a look in eventually. Yeah. <laughs> it did make me laugh that scene because she's like obviously showing loads of attention to the kids because she's missed them so much and then Dan's just kind of there in the background going, oh yeah, do you remember me as well? I'm kind of the one you married. <laughs> That's normal. Uh, it's such it's such high stakes. This is just oh no. I reckon she was always intending on going to the football club that day. You reckon? Yeah, because we know that they have to. We know they have to make contact with people who they're known associates of or whatever. Yeah, but that is so. It's such a pinpointed time. Like he, she could meet them any time, but that's something that someone has actually scheduled in their life and. God, it'd be scary to do that. But also there is the rule, or there always used to be the rule, that you had to meet up with someone a certain amount of distance away from your home. It's a great Mm. way to do that rule if the football club is half an hour away or whatever. It's a great way to do it. Yeah, but if if the hunters are good, they're going to know, you know, all the kids' events and things on. So I, I personally wouldn't do it. I'd do it like the day before or the day after. You're assuming competence, Michelle. (laughs) Love you, hunters, who are listening. (laughs) (laughs) Floyd says that Sarah's going to get caught today as she joined the wrong team. Matt spots movement on Dean's car. It's in Galston, where Sarah lives. Only one ground team's in the area, so they are diverted to Sarah's house. Ray hopes he's making the right choice. Sarah's heading towards Dean's house to pick up her kit, not realising that the hunters are onto him. The only issue would be if they're watching him, there is a tracker, or he's not turned his phone off. Dean's done a manoeuvre in the cul-de-sac as if to do a getaway for her. Floyd and Zoe are hidden around the corner, keeping an eye on it. Sarah's driver then spots the hunter's car as she drives past. Zoe checks Dean's car and finds it's locked and empty. A neighbour tells her that he moved the stuff to a second car and that they've been bamboozled. Do we at any point think that Dino didn't realise there was a GPS on his car? Oh god, no. It'd be the first thing you check as a known associate would be if they've put a GPS behind your uh, number plate or at the back of your car or literally anything. Especially if he works for the police. He knows where they'll hide them. Well, he doesn't even need to look, does he? Just assume they have and act accordingly. That's all he needs to think. Of course they're going to do that. Yeah, but he'll have looked and then gone, oh, right, they're tracking this car. I'll make alternative arrangements. Because the most suspicious thing that he could have done is removed that tracker. Oh, yeah, yeah. As soon as he knows the tracker's there, he gets to play with them a little. Something also interesting about this scene is the fact that Sarah is vaping. I miss that. We haven't seen anyone smoke or do anything like that since series one. Interesting. It's something they very, very rarely show on Hunted. I don't think we've seen anyone do it since uh, Lauren and Emily's roll-up fight. No. And also, I I meant to look because there was... There was some controversy this week about timeline hopping, wasn't there? About, but I forgot to check it. I can't remember where it is, but something to do with Sarah's timeline that that when she goes to see a friend, it, it happened before she'd seen the kids or something. But I've forgotten to check it. Well, it, if I had to guess, I think that scene of her visiting her friend is quite early on because it is somewhere close to Southampton. Mm. 
to Winchester, which is only probably 20 miles from Southampton. So if she's mm. done that almost immediately, she'll have had to quarantine for five days, we're presuming, based on the timeline. She's had to quarantine for five days away from her kids. She's probably already missing them by that point. So if this yeah. is six or seven days after being away from her kids, then yeah, it's kind of understandable she's she's missing them. But it's it's included in this episode, even though it's outside of the timeline, because it then sets up her going to visit her kids at the end of it. Yeah, here it is. Look, um, in last night's episode, she was seen reuniting with her children at a football club on a dusky evening before moments later was depicted as meeting up with a friend in the middle of the day. So what? Yeah. They've just shown sequences out, out of chronological order. But how does that how does that make it rigged? I don't, I don't even get that. If the friend thing is her meeting up with Dean, she didn't have to meet up with Dean on the same day that she, uh, she went to see her kids. It could no. have been the next day. Could easily have been the next day. They're far better than they were about showing stuff in chronological order because mm. of us, let's be honest, because mm. we point these things out. So, yeah, I don't get that argument at all. No, I, I didn't see anything particularly weird with that. Usually we are the first people to call this sort of stuff out if we spot it with monkeying with the timeline. We didn't spot it, therefore it's not a problem. No. <laughs> I'm being exactly. super no-nonsense with these people at the moment. I know I am, but I don't give a shit. Dean brought her some camping stuff, a disguise, and all the essentials, including wine, obviously. She gets away. She says every decision she makes from now on will be to keep her under the radar. Lisa describes it as a complete and utter clusterfuck. Sarah won't take any risks now, and will go to ground, and the next time they see her will be on day 23. And, and, and I promise the next time we see her, she will not be wearing that worst wig ever. No, the next, uh-huh. time, the next time we see her is the Halloween thing, which looks amazing. Yeah, that does look good. Shobra and Amarinda are in a new associate's garden in Solly Hall. Shobra is overwhelmed that she managed to help them both get away. She's learned so much on the run already. Even if you didn't know they get caught at the start of episode four, this is the the end of their edit. You can you can see it being tied up nicely. Yeah, it all gets tied up nicely in a bow, doesn't it? All ready for them to go. I love that um, when they're dropped off at the house, you know, there's the two older ladies. Yeah. And one of them's leaving. And Amarinda yells out to her, oh, when this is over, we'll do lunch. Yeah. Thought, oh, my God, that is that is so, I, I just I just love it. It's so Sydney. It's so gay. It's so everything. It's so good. I love it. Amarinda's brilliant. I love yeah. it when he does his little, get me the AMPR hit now. <laughs> this is a brilliant example of why it doesn't work when you air episodes 24 hours apart, because this whole scene of them, being set up to be caught, that then obviously leads into episode four. There is a bit of crossover with it. We get the phone call at the end of episode three of someone having two suspicious campers in the neighbor's garden, and Dr. Steve Percy ringing Chris, who they're staying with, and Amber into hearing the other side of the conversation. And then two minutes later, if you watch them back to back as Ant did, you then see the exact same conversation again. They never yeah. do that. No. But it's a perfect example of why it doesn't work airing them on successive days. No, and it was such a brilliant bit of editing because a week apart, that would have been brilliant. And it almost needed the little caption of 20 minutes before (laughs) where they set everything up before they make the phone call. Because when you're watching it at the end of episode three, you're like, oh, they've just rung her and given her a a tip off that they're on their way. That's giving them a way out. That's a bit daft. But then it'd be episode four. It's like, ah... No, I see what you've done. You've set everything up. Then you've made the phone call, which is really clever, but it just doesn't work when they're 
two minutes apart. Question. Answer. What do you think? Now, if I lived in England and lived in that town where they lived, I wouldn't put it past myself knocking on the door of the neighbour, of any neighbour around there, saying, did you get paid well? I hope you're proud of yourself. Like, seriously. <laughs> yeah, if if Amarinda's going to go back and do lunch for Chris, you can bet your bottom dollar that he's going to have words with that neighbour. <laughs> oh, God, I wanted videoed. I need Amarinda to, to get his phone out and have it on record, please. The even funnier thing would be if he accuses the wrong neighbour. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be someone that can see in the backyard, so there's only two of them. He can say yeah. the same thing, same thing to both of them. <laughs> the irony is, of course, that we then have a hunter team sent out, according to the episode three logic, who we've never seen before. We have no idea who Shaz is. We've never seen Shaz before. No. Yeah, Shaz. Do you call Sharon Shaz over there? Yeah, but yeah, you do. She, okay. Yeah, but but this will be uh, probably be Shazad or something like that. I know something yeah. about that name. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, he's completely unknown. So we don't actually know he's a hunter at this stage because no. we've had associates before, haven't we? Who they've just pulled in for like one piece of work. So yeah, it was quite interesting. Dot Steve Hersey rings Chris, and Amarinda hears the other side of the conversation, and that's where episode three ends. We pick up episode four almost two weeks into the run. Chris says the neighbours are all right, which is obviously setting up for one of them shanking her. And Lisa wants to bring the mother-son bonding time to an end. Their plan is to scare Chris and have Hunter Shaz pose as a local offering to give them a lift out and taking them to a car park where Jordan and Nicola await to do the Your Time in the Run is Over scene. Dr. Steve Percy rings Chris, and it's the call we saw at the end of episode three. They are indeed smoked out. Shobra asks how they got her number, and they get into Shaz's van. Shaz then misses the turning, and Ray nearly overrules the chief, but he then turns round. Their time in the run is over after 12 days. Yeah. Good capture. Well yeah. done. Clever they capture. Re- yeah, really good. Really nice to see the, the, the way they've constructed this. It was hilarious when Shaz went the wrong way. That was great. <laughs> I thought he's going off with them. He's letting them win. Let's let's go. Keep going. Well, yeah, especially as we weren't actually sure who he was at that stage. Uh, I was like, oh, maybe he's double-crossed the hunters and he's going to get them out of here. Yeah, it, it's slightly tempered by Shaz taking the wrong turning, which is hilarious, <laughs> obviously, but... Yeah, it's a good capture. It's not an unexpected capture, even if Channel 4 hadn't spoiled it for me. I will say that I didn't expect them to last 12 days. No, I think they did great. It's halfway into the hunt. It's pretty good for them. But I'm glad that Shobra especially got something out of being on the run. She seems like a lovely woman. Her husband seems lovely. Amarinda's amazing. They seem really nice. They're just obviously, as our champion Dr. Donna said, not natural fugitives. No, I, I thought they had a lovely edit. I thought it was really sympathetic. And, you know, I think the, the that's pretty much the worst criticism they got is that, you know, they're probably not natural at this. I, it seemed like they had a really good time as well, which is great. And they're so lovely, even Lisa doesn't have a horrid comment for them. <laughs> which I 100% think they cut that out because there is not a chance that she would have resisted the opportunity to have a go at him given how much she hated him according to what we saw. <laughs> yeah. And the, you missed the MVP of the episode. Who's that? Our lady. Oh, Christine was brilliant. Finger to the camera. She was so good. So good. She comes later. She's with Grace and Abby. 
as Catherine rather than Christine. Oh, yeah, 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 you're right. Oh, sorry, sorry, yes. Christine's a lovely old lady who takes in Shobra and Amarinda and her yeah, neighbour is a, a lying I was uh, with the wrong old lady. Thief. Delete, but, delete. Um, oh, God, no. And, uh, <laughs> and Catherine is the Alicia conduit who will always wave her finger in your face. <laughs> so we go back to our recap on why everyone is. Nathan and James are quite insulting. Lisa is still bitter about the computer wallpaper, even though it was on, like, day two. Get over it. Fugitives have done far worse on this program. Definitely. They're camping and Nathan can't wait for a comfortable bed. Sarah's doing very well, much to Mark's frustration. And Lisa says she's just one person, what can she do? And she does her tent in a style that she's not done since she was in Poland. Abby and Grace are a puzzle. Doug spotted that they're close to their mum, and she is a point that they can exploit. Lisa describes them as not streetwise, so HQ will look daft if they escape. They are hitchhiking in Wales... They say they have never done anything this challenging. The Duke of Edinburgh Award apparently made Grace cry every day, and they have <laughs> never roughed it in their lives. They discuss what they think various members of the cabinet smell like, which is an odd scene <laughs> to show. Very odd. And they hear a siren and say the hunters aren't even subtle this year. They get a growth edit, saying they think they can outsmart the hunters even though they're young. They want to pay off their mum's mortgage with the money. She raised them as a single mum, and while working full-time in the NHS. Just tugging on the heartstrings a little. <laughs> yeah. Just a little. Um, and at this point, I was like, ooh, hang on a minute. Is is there something more from these? But by the end of the episode, I just can't see any way out from No, I think as much as we would probably like them to get to the end, I can't see how they escape Jordan and Nicola twice. No. Mm. Carl and Mel are then sent to interrogate their mum, Sarah, and Grace's boyfriend, Jack. And Carl says he's expecting them to lie to him. Grace and Abby sent a birthday message on Jack's phone, which Sarah shouldn't have seen yet. It's a WhatsApp video. Interesting. Going back to what we were discussing last week, what is the extent of WhatsApp that they're allowed to use? Uh, yeah, well, it's not. they're not using it as a way of evading being caught or anything, are they? That's just the platform that they've sent the video, I suppose. It's, it's not like it's a clever scheme. It's not like, oh, we've used WhatsApp because it's encrypted. They've just sent the video. That just happens to be what they've used, I think. It's just interesting that in the past four episodes now, we've had two references to WhatsApp being used in a way that that it's never been used before on Hunted. We've never had WhatsApp be used publicly before. Hmm. So the video says that they will have a present for her on her 60th, and HQ suspect that they might try and see her, and that will lure them right in. Which is actually something I pointed out when I was doing the cheat sheet last week before the first episode had aired because it's mentioned in their bio that their mum turns 60 on the run and they would quite like to do something for her. Hmm. Sadly, I think what they're going to do for her is actually be home for it. <laughs> it looks like it. <laughs> Nathan and James are camping by a railway in Lincoln. James wants to carry on sleeping. It was not a good night's sleep, but one of the benefits of being deaf is they can't hear the railway. And, and various yes. other things. <laughs> They're relying on a friend's second-hand camping equipment, but it leaks. They want to pick up their better camping gear, which they left with their friend Ross Cook, and they're heading to Doncaster to meet their friend Erin, who can help them. James's Instagram is then broken into, and HQ decides to exploit his weakness for his beautiful dog Roxy and rile him up a little bit, and JP and Georgina are sent to his house. I did say this on Twitter. If you think that I'm going to get through this entire episode without mentioning how cute Roxy is, you are wrong. <laughs> I have a huge soft spot for... Um, for Labradors, and Roxy's a very good girl. 
<laughs> I like to, I I do like Blex's, you know, ploy with the dog that he has done in the past better though. Yeah. To say. But we never saw that on the episode. That's the thing. We never saw the the Bob's Dog Floyd thing. It's on their YouTube, but it never made the episode somehow. Yeah, weird that. It's a nice little touch. I kind of like the way it doesn't pan out because that, again, just points to Nathan and James are, are always one step ahead of the hunters here. Yeah, Nathan and James are incredibly savvy. I suspect they have seen all the other episodes before. They're savvy enough to go, yeah, we're annoyed about it, but we're not going to let them win with it. We're not going to do anything stupid just because they gave my dog a cape. Yeah, I, do, I just like, I really like James's reaction. He's like, oh, that's really annoying, but at least I get to see my dog. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So the ploy didn't work at all. Didn't work. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, it's great, and I think that's significant. That that is a big hint as to the fact that they are definitely going to win. Yeah, I think also they're quite even keel, mm-hmm. and these sort of tactics work a lot with people who are on the run because it really stresses them out. And it really forces them to do something stupid and try and push back and give the hunters an advantage. The biggest advantage that they gave was logging into Instagram at the pub, leading them towards the roughly right location. Yeah. And believe me, I have some thoughts on that because someone was very argumentative on Facebook about it. Mm -hmm. So JP and Georgina take a video of Roxy wearing a cape that says Roxy loves hunters and puts it on social media, including on both of the boys' Instagrams. The boys take a stagecoach 40 miles to meet Erin. James is going to write a letter for Ross, which she can deliver for him. They arrange to meet him on Wednesday at the Cherry Tree Pub. They say being deaf has an advantage because they can't hear each other's snoring and farts, respectively. Having said that, two brains are better than one. Which is another quote that leads me to think that they might split up. HQ analyse Abby and Grace's video. Lisa says she thinks they have three things in common. Fatigue, desperation, and the fact they will absolutely stink. And she says that they will be struggling. They've hitchhiked 200 miles to rugby. They're hoping to get south so they can arrange something for their mum's birthday. They settle on calling Jason, one of Abby's uni friend's dads, who is apparently a Dilf, who could help them. <laughs> I'm sure both Callum and Jason loved that quote airing on television. <laughs> Not at all embarrassing, that, is it? <laughs> it does beg the question, does Callum know that Jason is a Dilf? <laughs> was that a discussion at uni for them? <laughs> Probably. I did think it was a little bit of a stretch that he would be under surveillance, though. Well, presumably, Callum was on her list. Yeah, they must be closer than it appears, because that feels like quite a big degree of separation for them to already have them on surveillance. So, yeah, there's, there's got to be more to it than, than we know. Either that or Callum lives with his dad. Yeah. If Callum lives with his dad, then they'll have Callum on monitoring. They'll have the landline on monitoring, which is what they actually ring. Spoilers. And then they'll probably, as a result, have Jason on monitoring because if he's the only other person in the house, then the logical step for Callum is to go, well, I'm not going to use my phone because they'll obviously monitor it. I'll use my dad's. Yeah, yeah, if they live together, that does make sense. Yeah, That's Mm. my presumption on it. I might be wrong, but I very rarely am. (laughs) Sadly, HQ have already identified Callum and put him and Jason on call intercept. They call Jason on Catherine's phone, but he's not answering. They get through to him to ask if they can camp in his garden, but HQ get the call lock, and Shaz and Becky are sent 
to Catherine's house. <laughs> oh, oh, Catherine was a godsend. Oh, she was so good. After episode three, I wasn't sure what the banner was going to be. As soon as I watched episode four, I made a note that Catherine has to be the banner. Because it is tradition whenever we do Hunted that a great NPC ends up being a banner, like the woman in the armchair from episode one of series five. <laughs> but Catherine was an all-time great. She's so no-nonsense with them. Oh, she's brilliant. So good. Apart from just one thing, if she'd have offered to let them stay in her garden before they'd made the call, they'd have probably been fine. <laughs> yeah, but also then we wouldn't have seen her being nearly as angry with Shaz and Becky. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. From our point of view, it's amazing that they did these things. It's awesome. You go beyond that gate, you're trespassing. <laughs> and she's on the other side of the bush. Like, I, I can't go in. <laughs> and they probably never come up to that. They never come up against someone like that, that I just can't go in. I can't even go in a front yard. <laughs> she's so bolshy with them. She's brilliant. I love it. The best thing is she's acting like someone who has never helped the fugitives. So she's acting basically like, what the hell are you guys doing with loads of cameras on my driveway? Get the fuck off my drive. <laughs> Don't you go anywhere near that back garden. I need Hunted Australia to come to New South Wales next time because I am helping these damn fugitives and, oh, my God, it's going to be wonderful. The problem is your solution would be to push the hunters into the Ubliette, Michelle, and that's just that's a lawsuit waiting to happen. Oh, Jesus, those hunters won't know what they've come to if they try and get someone from me. Guys, come over here. I just want you to have a look. <laughs> ah, you shit. Day 14, and the hunters are still trapped. <laughs> yeah, and and you know what? If Sherlock has to, has to be here, I'll be like, go send a message back to Sherlock. <laughs> Sorry, love, you're not coming in. You can imagine Sherlock on the walkie-talkies just going, Guys, what, what's your update? Yeah, we've we've come across a woman you may know. She's called Michelle Fliss Denevin. Um, we're we're a little bit stuck down this ten foot hole. I believe she calls it the um, the Ubliato. She'll look at me right. Get me a white t shirt and some blue jeans, and I'm off. I'll go and sort it out myself. Guys, give me your location. I'll pull you out. Oh my god. <laughs> so Becky confronts Catherine and she's a great liar. She accuses them of trespassing and will always wave her finger in your face. <laughs> the girls correctly guess that the hunters are onto them. Mark tries negotiating with Catherine, but she is delightfully no nonsense with him. To the point where Becky actually has to step off her drive so that she's not trespassing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. The girls are hitchhiking again on the wrong side of the road. They knock in a house and get left out. And Shaz and Becky actually drive past them. Yeah. Ooh, that was close. And they sing a hunted riff on One Day More from Les Mis. Oh my God, how good was that? <laughs> I mean, I love Les Mis and I love that song and I have sung it many times. And I do put it as a meme on my Survivor page like one day before the finale and stuff like that. So when they sang that, it was like amazing. And quite prophetic, because I think it's going to turn out to be true. They've got one day more. You've you spoiled my joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a comedian. <laughs> so in Barnsley, Nathan and James are camping in the woods. James is not a morning person. He had a shit sleep the night before. They're not far from their rendezvous point with Ross. After a fortnight on the run, James says he's missing home. 
All he wants to do is go home and see his dog, and to a lesser extent, his girlfriend. <laughs> it's not a good pair of episodes for the loved ones of, of the fugitives. It isn't, is it? Like, <laughs> God, the obsession with his dog and he doesn't mention his girlfriend. Next minute, his girlfriend's on TV and I'm like, oh dear, this doesn't bode well. To be fair to him, his dog is a very good girl. <laughs> <laughs> It's perfectly acceptable for him to actually care about that dog. So the boys reach the pub, and James says the problem with deaf people is that they're always late, and Ross is not waiting for them. Matt has finished editing a video and putting subtitles onto it, and they post it on both boys' accounts in the hopes that they will log in and leave a digital footprint. Question. Yes. I never log out. I'm always logged in to every social media app. So how would they deal with someone like me? They wouldn't. Like on Facebook Messenger, you can see your light pops up if yeah. you're around. But Instagram, you don't know if someone's on or not. So this was a robust discussion, shall we say, that I had on the Facebook mm. group um, yesterday, which I think Ant may have spotted. The the bloke who posted that stupid thing about how they should just live stream it also said, oh, how did they get the Instagram ping? They logged in to one of their accounts on Ross's yeah. phone. As soon yeah. as you log in... It shows you, and you actually get a ping on the email about this as well. If you log into your account from a device that they do not recognize, it tells you the uh, location. Correct. And you can look in the app and see a triangulated location. They yeah. will have mimicked this for Hunted. No, 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 no. What I'm asking. No, it doesn't matter because he's not logging into his account. The friend just opened his phone and looked at. You know, when you log something, when you put something up on Instagram, I can see it. I don't need to log into your account to see it. No, I think I think that it, yeah, I think that's where the confusion is. I don't think Ross has an Instagram account. I think James has logged into his account on Ross's phone. Then why did he say, "Have you seen your Instagram account?" Like, how would he know that there's something there? Mm, that's a good point. If he didn't have an account, I think what happened is. They put his profile on private, and Ross couldn't see it. So they then had to get James to log in himself, which left the digital footprint. Yeah, but to, to Michelle's point, how did Ross know to tell them that it was on Instagram? I don't know. Yeah. But that was my presumption how they got the ping, because you're right, when you log in on a new device, you get an email to say, did you just log in on your account? Because here's the IP address that's just come up. And also, if you, if you look on the app as well, it gives you the, the reflection of it. Yeah, but yeah, it doesn't explain how Ross knew if he doesn't have an Instagram account. So there's a little bit of wonkiness there. Yeah, the other assumption that I could have from it is that there is a rule about social media that if you log in to have a look at something on your account, HQ get the ping. Yeah. Which is a a fair assumption because they have to they have to mimic these things. Obviously they'd they'd need to go through Facebook or Twitter or whoever to get the information if if this was a real hunt, but it's not. And you need a, a certain degree of suspension of belief, people who moan on Facebook all the time. I thought because they've been staying away from social media and even writing a letter to a friend, I thought they're not going to see this Instagram thing because they haven't been on anything. So it's it's a big you know, jump to think that they'll suddenly look at it. So they could have let it totally slide, you know, if they were really not looking at anything. Were they made 
I wonder if there's something in the rules that says if the hunters post something on social media, you've got to spot it. Well, that's one that's one way of looking at it. The other way to look at it is reverse the timeline. If if they hadn't logged into Instagram to see the video, we wouldn't know that video exists because it would be another Floyd video, wouldn't it? It, it might be on a YouTube video. They wouldn't have aired it if they hadn't have checked it. But yeah, I think there's obviously one of the unseen rules in play here. It's either if they log into something, even if it's on their friend's account, then the hunters get the rough location of it or alternatively it's that they have to look at these things or third option they were monitoring ross if they were monitoring ross and his phone pinged there looking at something on instagram on james's account then that could have been enough in the rules for them to get the information it's something on those lines what i'm saying basically though is anyone who's moaning about this on facebook just think about it there is obviously an unseen rule at play here but you have to just trust that this show is not rigged because they give away a lot of money. They're giving away a hundred grand. There are certain rules that go into making a show where you give away any sort of monetary prize or any sort of prize to begin with. Yeah. And I think when whenever we're talking about replicating powers of the state, what you have to bear in mind is there isn't the same level of time as to do a real investigation. So I think you have to assume that if you could get that information at any point, then they can get it instantly because because of the time length of the show. So, you know, in a real investigation, could you get Instagram to say, did this person log into their account and watch this video? If the answer is yes, they would give you that information. It doesn't matter how long it took you to get there. In hunted world, they get it immediately. And that's just how it works. Yeah, I think from what Kevin said before, there is a bit of a cooling off period. They wouldn't get it immediately, immediately, but they'd get it maybe 10, 15 minutes later. Yeah, you know, basically they, they will they will get the information they want when they ask for it. They won't have to wait for the bureaucracy and the jumping through hoops that might take months in the real world. They, they will just get it as an, at an appropriate moment. So HQ get the information on Ross logging into Instagram. Mark says there's every chance that he could be with the fugitives. In the triangulation area, there is only one major settlement, which is the pub. If Ross isn't meeting them at home, he could have met them at a pub. Ross also included food in their bag and a puzzle mag, and sadly for Nathan, some tuna. James's favourite fish. I love that he's got a favourite fish. That's great. He's got a favourite drink, favourite fish. He's a man who knows his own mind. I'll give him that. Yeah. Another moan that I saw was, oh, how did they identify the pub in the triangulation area? <laughs> did, did you see the map? <laughs> yeah, there is one major settlement in it, which is a pub, and there is a load of farms. They're not going to investigate the farms, because they're less likely, even in a real investigation, to be where the fugitives are hiding. They're obviously going to go to the major settlement of the pub. If they don't find the fugitives there, they'll find people to ask about the fugitives there. Give your head a wobble. <laughs> Give your head a wobble. This is new. <laughs> You're not aware of that one. <laughs> no, I've never heard that one. Ray says they've been incredibly lucky so far, but they are only nine minutes behind the fugitives at the moment. And he also says they've bared their ass. Now it's time for HQ to kick their ass. Mm-hmm. Bit of lame fighting words, that Ray, but I'll let it slide. Nathan realises that they've checked their accounts on Ross's phone and may have alerted the hunters, which explains what we were discussing. It sounds like we just didn't see them log into their own accounts, but they must have done. And HQ got the ping. 
Paul and George arrive at the pub. Sadly, there's no sign of the fugitives, and the landlord is very uncooperative as well. Paul spots what he thinks is a couple of people in a field, and actually it's a horse. And for some reason, he doesn't declare that sighting to Lisa. No, no. Did you post that photo somewhere, or did I see it somewhere? No, someone else posted it. Okay, because when it had a caption, was something about there's someone in the field. So I actually went and just blew up the whole photo. I'm thinking, is there someone behind the horse's legs? <laughs> I was really trying to find some other legs behind the horse's legs. And I'm like, is that a leg? And like, I'm like, and then when the show came on, I'm like, there's no one in the field. Why was I trying to look behind the horse's legs? <laughs> oh, my God. It's a question I ask myself all the time, Michelle. Why were you trying to look behind the horse's legs? <laughs> James and Nathan blag a lift on a coach. HQ realise that they missed the boys again. And Nathan tells us that one small mistake can be a big deal when on the run. Excitement can lead to dire consequences. And in the final part of the episode, Lisa refocuses on Abby and Grace. She wants to provoke a reaction from them. So they re-edit the video to try and encourage the public to help them find the girls and return them home for their mum's birthday. It is the day before their mum's birthday and they've hitchhiked to Bista. They're still a long way from home. Mark gets a potential live sighting just past Oxford along the A34 towards the M40 roundabout. It is suspicious because absolutely nobody walks down the A34. A second sighting then comes in. Jordan and Nicola are sent to investigate. And the girls are in a lay-by. They get pulled over by a highways officer walking down the motorway. Of course people are going to call that in. Yes. Not not Maybe. your brightest move. How were they not, not stopped from doing that? I don't know if they were actually on the motorway at that point. I think they were getting very close to the motorway. Really? Did the, the video was them on the motorway? I think that's still the A34, but I think it's just... Like, if they kept going for a couple of minutes, they're going to be at the roundabout and they're going to be on a motorway. I think, because there's no hard shoulder, that's just a lay-by, so I think that's an A, a road. Yeah, I think they were probably on the A34M. So it was yeah, already most way rules, but still technically the A34. Yeah, like that's most way rules, you stay off the fucking motorway. <laughs> yeah. So Jordan and Nicholas see them as they drive past, and that's where the episode ends. Well, we sort of know what's happening there, don't we? Yeah, we've still not seen the Victorian ankles clip, although it looks like we've seen the ending of it in the next time trailer. James and Nathan, we've still not seen uh, Nathan run around at Carlisle United, which will presumably be in next episode before they go to Loch Ness. And Sarah gets a disguise at a Halloween park as well, which I'm very much looking forward to. Mm. Dates the episode slightly, but it's also very entertaining. Yes. Now, I think we all agree James and Nathan are winning. Is anyone mm-hmm. else winning? Sarah. Yeah, I, I'm 70-80% on Sarah now. Yeah. Grace and Abby definitely aren't. No. Sarah, I would say, is about 85%. James is about 90%. Nathan's 100% for me. Mm. Do you think Grace and Abby are getting caught at the start of the next episode, or will it be episode six? Well, I mean, I, I wondered how hard it is you know, they're driving past them quite fast. Can they stop up ahead? Or do they have to actually circle back, giving them a chance to be actually get into another car? I think it's unlikely they're going to lose them in any significant way. And we know that there's usually a capture in the first five minutes these days. 
yeah, I was having this discussion on Discord a few days ago. Um, I think it was Thomas who has just discovered Hunted from us talking about it so much. But he said it's very predictable that someone gets caught at the start of every episode. Mm. And the reason for that is obviously to make the cliffhangers work if it didn't air two episodes a week. But also it then means that there is the quote-unquote shock of no capture at the start of one of the episodes, which will probably be episode six. Yeah. But you you also have to balance it with the fact that can they really do an entire one and three quarters of episodes based only on what is essentially two people? Because it's James and Nathan as one and Sarah as another. Yeah, they might bounce it into the next episode. Maybe we see them disappear, then we don't get to see the catch. I don't know. I don't know. It felt like they'd do a very close to capture, though. Yeah, my gut feeling on it is we probably will see Grace and Abby get away at the start of the episode. There'll then be all the Sarah and James and Nathan stuff, and then they'll get caught at the end of the fifth episode. Yeah, that would make sense. Because you can kind of get away with doing one episode of just what is essentially two people, especially if James and Nathan split. You can't really get away with it for a prolonged period of time, especially if then everyone wins at the end. The other element that I didn't mention when we were talking about Channel 4 listing the entire final five is they also listed what the extraction point is going to be. My God. That's helpful and completely unnecessary. Yeah, I don't know whether you guys know. Do you want me to tell you? I don't know. I don't know, and I'm I'm staying away. Okay, I won't say anything then. It's a very interesting location that they picked, is what I'll say. Does it match the interesting start point? Maybe, maybe not. I'm I'm not giving you any clues if if I don't want to know. But I think it's the sort of end point that people on Facebook and Twitter are going to be quite angry about. Oh, God. I I love (laughs) it when they do things that rile people. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Like the roof of a car park. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not as bad as a roof of a car park. Um, okay. But I'm actually there next week. I'm in Birmingham on Wednesday and Thursday for my sins because I'm being punished for something, evidently. Who's sending you there? I'm there with work. We've got a, okay. a two day meeting. I've got the pleasure of going to Birmingham. Huh? It's a shithole. Um, <laughs> I think I've mentioned my, my story of the bull ring before, but if not, I'll do it next week. But. Um, yeah, it ties in with something that we've asked for in the past with an extraction point. Is the mm-hmm. other clue I'll give about it. Okay. Have you guys got anything else you want to say before we let Michelle go to bed and rest her voice? Oh my god, yes please. <laughs> Not Jesus. much, other, other than I know we've covered it, but the scheduling of this is just really ruined what would have been, I think, top tier series. Yeah. I, I know I'm a grumpy bastard about the scheduling, and I think it says it all that even you were quite angry about it last weekend when I told you. Yeah, it, it, it's such a shame because it clearly wasn't planned this way. They've not edited it like that. You know, like um, like when Amazing Race goes to a double episode, they seamlessly make it one long episode and that's fine. This was clearly designed to be episodes a week and a week apart and Channel 4 have messed around and, and it's just made what would have been a brilliant series just be a good series. Yeah, I wish in hindsight we'd just done the episode separately and just released them one a week as we normally do. I just think it's just, it feels rushed. You know, it's over in three weeks. It's just Mm. rushed. Yeah, and none of this was also announced before we'd even recorded our first episode last Friday. That's Mm. the other element of this. Like, we Mm. went into last episode thinking, oh yeah, it's just this double episode, we're going to have four more weeks after this, it'll be fine. 
And then literally as mm. soon as we finish recording, I look on the Channel 4 website and go, oh, for God's sake, they're doubling it up again next week and the week after. And then I looked on the TV guide to make sure, and I saw the entire spoiler, basically, for the final five. You had fun last week. Oh, I was raging. It was so We were so lucky that we <laughs> didn't record a little bit later last week because I would have been fuming. But, you know, to <laughs> contrast it, when, when Hunter does finally is that will probably be two episodes a week for you know 18 months so (laughs) calling it now they're gonna do three or four episodes a week i know you said they wouldn't michelle but they're gonna do three or four episodes a week and it's gonna be absolute hell to keep on top of go and message sherlock and find out it'll be uh 56 fugitives are on the run for (laughs) for 40 for 40 weeks If somehow we do end up doing Hunted Australia, all of these Please, shows are going to come again. I miss you too if we don't do Hunted uh, Australia. Oh, we've got to do it. I don't know. It depends on the schedule. <laughs> and then you can go back to the guy who wants it live streamed and go, and that's why you wouldn't live stream it because when you do a million episodes, it will just get boring. <laughs> the problem we've got is that you know as well as I do, they're probably going to do more than one episode a week, which, I mean, points of the last hour and a half of me ranting about. But also, they're probably going to do it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday if they're going to do three episodes a week, which is an absolute nightmare for us to schedule around. <laughs> this series well, has been bad enough for scheduling. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we do Saturday or, or like we're doing now. Yeah, I, th- I think what, I think to your point earlier, Michael, we, we're going to have to not worry about what the actual schedule is and we're just going to have to do an episode and we, maybe we just have to be a bit disciplined and we won't watch them like more than a week apart or something you know what i mean i mean if if they do do the stupid scheduling again next year and the main motivation of this other than obviously it pissing me off is the fact that i feel like you're really shortchanged Dan, because obviously there's no historian scheduled that you're on at the moment and as a result we're probably going to end up doing traitors just because i feel bad but (laughs) it makes me feel really bad that you only get three episodes in a year because of channel four's fuck up it is annoying uh, and and also, I think it means we compress two episodes into one long, one long episode, really, don't we? Yeah. So we're like, yes. you know, with 90 minutes, we'd probably do an hour on each episode if they're a week apart. Yeah, we're quite rushed in these episodes. And I noticed it last week. Obviously, we're a bit less rushed this week because it's bank holiday and I've got time. But yeah, I, I feel bad that you only get three episodes in a year because of Jennifer. Well, and okay. this is why we need to do Australian Hunted. Yeah, we'll find a way. We'll find a way. If it's doable, we'll do it. If it isn't, then, you know, whatever. If we can't keep up with the schedule, we, we can't keep up with the schedule. We'll just put episodes yeah. out as, as and when we watch the episodes. So, thank you for listening to our Hunted Recap. We'll be back this time next week for the final two episodes. Don't forget, you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors. Or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Anthony's on Twitter at Bullsboy. Michelle is better. And I'm MJ Harmstone. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash rtvwarriors. We'll see you next Saturday for the final two episodes. But with that, for this week, your time in the run is over. Bye-bye. Very in sync, guys. (laughs) Not not even practice that. No.